everybody. Welcome back to But Why the Podcast, the podcast where we talk about everything in pop culture and why it matters. And today we have a amazing interview. But first, I'm Kate, and I am here with three guests, the first of which are hosts of other podcasts, Ash from the Safari Zone and Skyhoppers. Hello. And Lizzie from the Pilots and Petards podcast. Hello. And our grand special guest, Jeremy Whitley, writer of The Unstoppable Wasp. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming to our humble podcast um, with all of our comic fans here in attendance. <laughs> well, happy to do it. Um, so first off, uh, a little bit about about us, we talk about things in pop culture that matter. And with the recent publishing of the last Wasp issue, um, one of the big things around it was um, watching a great depiction of mental health in comic books. And I know that this is a heavy question to start with, but it's something that I have had on my mind since I've read since I read the issue. Um, what inspired you to tackle that type of storyline? Um, so it was something we talked about from the beginning uh, with the series, because uh, as, as some people will know, we had a first uh, shot at an Unstoppable Wasp series that only lasted eight issues um, that never quite got around to some of the stuff that uh, we wanted to tackle. Um, but it was something that my editor, Alana Smith, and I had discussed from the beginning, um, because there is sort of that issue in Nadia's past that, you know, her father, Hank Pym, um, is, is pretty heavily associated with uh, mental illness as far as it goes in the Marvel Universe. And, uh, you know, it started out as sort of a multiple personality thing. And then, you know, it's, it's recently been sort of uh, fixed to being bipolar. Um, and that was something that, you know, we looked at as, as we were getting ready, because, you know, bipolar is uh, is something that is hereditary that, you know, you can, you have a much higher chance of getting it if somebody in your family has it. Um, and so we wanted to, you know, think about that and how we could have, you know, Nadia as sort of a, a positive character that she is as a, um, a much different representation from what we usually see for, you know, mental health and comics, not just from Hank, but, you know, more generally in that I think for, for so much of comics history, uh, people with any sort of mental illness, um, you know, have been villains. I mean, you know, there's a guy that dresses like a bat that has a whole asylum full of them. Uh, can't remember that guy's name, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those sort of common tropes of comics, you know, people with mental health become some sort of crazy supervillain. Um, you know, I, I think we've gone a long way to uh, changing what superheroes look like in comics, um, you know, from a standpoint of uh, gender and, and race and, um, you know, representations of, of gender and sexuality and things like that. Um, but I think mental health is one of those things that still lagged pretty far behind in, you know, how we look at it in comics and how we represent, you know, what heroic people look like as far as mental health. Um, because I, I feel like even when it is something that we address as in heroic characters, it's like a twist, it's a gimmick, it's a, you know, what if they were a superhero, but also crazy. 
Yeah, that's that's really great to hear. And I mean, it's something that from the response on Twitter and myself reading it, it was the way the way you all tackled it was it was very real. She's in her she's shrunken down in her tiny lab in her pendant. And yet with this fantastical element around her, it is a very real conversation and a a very real and empathetic moment. Um, when it comes to writing and showing this type of vulnerability and you know even strength with her and this representation, how do you how do you balance? Because I know you also mentioned um, how happy she is, how optimistic she is, right? How do you balance mm -hmm. her having to make hard choices or um, having to deal with elements like this? What what's that process like for you? I think so much of that was already sort of baked into Nadia. The uh, you know, the the grittiness, the potential sadness, because you know, right there in her story, she's you know, uh, you know, she's she's never met either of her parents. She's born and then raised in the Red Room. Um, she knows very little about her past. She doesn't even know, you know, their father is Hank Pym until she's she's a little older, um, and she's she's sort of lived all this hardness already. Um, so the, the biggest thing for me was being able to, to bring more hope and more excitement to that. That was the thing I wanted to see from Nadia is never her to be a character who has endured extensive trauma, who has had a really you know, rough go of things, has had, has had a rough life. Um, but, uh, you know, makes this decision that, you know, she's free now and she's, she's going to go out there and do her best and, um, you know, make up for all this, this lost time. Um, and I think the, you know, writing about uh, the, the mental illness side of things came kind of, uh, came not necessarily easy, but simply to me in, in that regard and that, um, you know, this is a character who has been very sort of fenced in, has not, um, had a lot of the experiences that other people have so she's sort of trying to do so much stuff at once that she unintentionally sort of overwhelms herself and you know ends up coming sort of headlong into this realization that you know not not everything that uh, you know she has to deal with are, are things that uh she can escape from that this is a this is a real thing um and it's a real part of her biology and it's, it's not something that's you know an evil plot because like like she says in issue five like superhero stuff is easy you know it, it's easy to like be like okay well if i die i died saving the world like that's not a loss uh, to you know to that person it is you know, if you went out saving the world it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be great you'd rather survive i assume but like at the same time, you get to be heroic, but, you know, to have to deal and struggle with real problems, with real illness is, is a much more human, but at the same time, much more heroic struggle. Well, I know that when I was reading it, it was, it was definitely, there were, there was a particular moment that really hit me. And it was when Nadia calls her brain broken. And that is a word that I have actively worked to eliminate from my vocabulary because 
as someone who deals with a few chronic illnesses, I have kind of moved past calling myself broken because I, so that moment I think was really important, especially when, you know, her, her friend says, you're, you're not broken. You know, this is, this is as much part of you as, as the smartest part of your brain as, you know, the beautiful human being you are. And, and I think that's, that's so important for, for every reader. And I think that's not only important for readers who it hits like it hits me, but I think it's also important for readers who maybe have never have felt that before, but who know people who have felt that just so they can maybe empathize with that and kind of see it a little bit better. So thank you yeah. for that. <laughs> I know. I know when I read it, I was so, it was like what you mentioned earlier, mental health and comics, the way it's portrayed has not always been entirely positive. There's been some positive depictions of it. Um, but seeing that portrayed so honestly on the page was something that was really powerful for me personally as somebody who struggles with um, mental illness, because I know as a kid, I looked to comics as kind of my guide as how to navigate the world in a lot of cases. I learned a lot about empathy from the X-Men and stuff like that. So just to see that presented in a way where I could give this to a kid who maybe doesn't understand it, or even an adult who maybe doesn't understand it and have it ex explained and portrayed so honestly was really incredible. Thank you. Yeah. And that was something I, I struggled with a little bit writing the book because I think there's a, a tendency to want for your, your heroes to have all the answers and for you to want them to walk out of things and say like, okay, well, I, I beat that, uh, you know, for them to not say things like that their brain is broken, which is, uh, you know, a, a thing that if I feel like if I had left it at that would have been like a very problematic bit um, in there, but like to have them look at it and see like, to, to experience this and to have this thing that, you know, in, in this case, they can't overcome. And I think in this case, I had to kind of come to the terms that, you know, the, the victory in this case is not Nadia beating bipolar disorder, but Nadia realizing that she can't do it alone and that she has to ask for help, which is in itself a very like difficult and heroic act when, you know, especially when you're somebody who's who's used to being able to depend on themselves for everything. Yeah, and kind of just reiterate what, you know, what the other woman said, I definitely is somebody who has um, definitely told people to leave me alone and let me do my work. Um, when I was not in a healthy state, it was it was, it was something that kind of leaped off the page. And was like, Oh, I know this moment. This is very real. Um, and that's something that I think goes not only to um, to the single issues, but also to, you know, the first and second volumes when, you know, when um, when she's she's starting out and, and bringing together, you know, these group of of, of teenagers and, and, you know, young women with her. How do you go about making sure that her voice, um, her dialogue um, you know, the dialogue of others really feels, um, you know, genuine and authentic, because that is something that I, I loved while reading. Um, I never once felt like something that was said was, um, how do it, like, uh, you know, didn't belong or like ev everything matched. Um, even the the small uses of Spanish with the Miranda sisters um, as a Latina myself, when I see stuff used in comics, I'm always, okay, 
there's a Spanish word here. Let's see how it's used. Um, how, how do you go about writing um, with a sense of uh, maybe authenticity is not the good word, but, uh, you know, realness um, to characters who, you know, obviously, I mean, you're not a 15 year old girl um, or, or, you know, uh, a, a young and a young female engineer. Right. Um, how do you go about that? Um, honestly, I, I do a lot of consulting. Um, you know, I have a lot of people read stuff and, and give me suggestions. And um, I think the the Miranda sisters came a little more naturally to me. I, I don't, um, you know, I, I'm not Puerto Rican, but there is a, a good chunk of my family who is Mexican. And so, like, the feeling of where Spanish belongs in the sentences is a little... Um, or something I'm used to than some people that sort of insert bits of Spanish into things because my, you know, my grandfather was Mexican and uh, he was very, uh, was very determined that you know he didn't speak Spanish he spoke Mexican and um, you know when when people tried to like when my cousins would um, you know take Spanish that they would try to come speak classroom Spanish to him. He'd, tell him to get out of there he didn't speak that stuff um so you know I, I wanted to have it feel sort of more authentic so i you know made sure to run stuff by people i made sure to um you know not not try to source things from you know uh google translate but you know from from people who knew what they were saying and you know if there was something i had to translate i'd sort of i translate and take it to somebody and be like hey is this is this right is this Raised correctly, um, I think the, uh, the the character who I think I, I did that the most with was uh, just trying to get things right for uh, Priya and her family um, because she is you know her family is Daisy and uh, I wanted to get that feeling and then I wanted to make sure that you know to people reading this this book who have experience with that culture who are a part of that culture that it sounded right to them and, and felt you know like their experience so uh i actually you know reached out to to some folks who i, I listened in special thanks in that first volume to to make sure that all of that sounded right to make sure that it tracked uh to catch me when i i sort of stereotyped rather than archetyping characters um because yeah i wanted i want these people to feel authentic to their culture and authentic to New York City because uh, I think it's a weird thing that so many comics take place in New York City and that uh, if you were to look at you know comics especially 80s and before it seems like New York City is 90% white people um, <laughs> and, and having been to New York City I know that's not the case um, you know so I, I wanted to make sure that everybody sounded right and I, I do the same thing with a lot of science um, I have now a, a large number of, of female scientists that I've, you know, met through interviewing people for, um, you know, agents of girl and in, in the back of every issue. And uh, I consult a lot with uh, Tamara, uh, who is, you know, who's on uh, Mythbusters Junior now and has been on a bunch of uh, science shows because um, she has a very sort of wide general knowledge of science and engineering that I can sort of take a lot of general questions and bounce them off her and either she knows the answer or can talk to somebody who can get me a, a better, clearer answer. Um, so it's, it's fun being able to make sure that, that stuff is right. I've, I've had everything from, 
you know, in, in issue four when of this current series, when Nadia pops out of uh, the, the lab, one of the things that uh, kept coming up in discussions about um, bipolar disorder is that a lot of times when people are manic, when they are really concentrating hard on this one thing um, and, and paying just attention to that, that when they speak to people, a lot of the times they revert to like first languages. And so I, I wanted to have, you know, when she pops out, she's speaking Russian and doesn't realize it. Um, you know, Ying tells her you know, in, in English and Nadi says, I am speaking English. Um, and so I wanted to make sure I got the, the Russian right. So I had to track down my, my friend who is uh, from college, who is a, a Russian professor now, and <laughs> sort of run these things by him and be like, I want this to make sense. So it doesn't have to sound like perfectly street Russian because she's raised in a lab, but you know, I do want it to sound like something a Russian person would say. So uh, it's, it's always, it's, it's interesting, like realizing where your gaps in knowledge are and uh, trying to find people who can help you fill those. Well, I will say this, all of that research definitely paid off. Um, I never once questioned any background of the characters. In fact, I think one of my favorite moments in Agents of Girl is when Nadia is trying to get Priya to um, secretly be her research partner. Um, and she's like, my parents are immigrants, so there are only two things that they care about, me taking opportunities, and I don't go anywhere without telling them because they're gonna think I'm dead somewhere. <laughs> and like my family isn't aren't, aren't immigrants, but like as um, as somebody who grew up with a lot of, you know, um, first generation friends, and even just like my, my mom has kind of retained that mentality for her parents. I was like, oh, that makes sense. I, I feel like that, <laughs> like um, it, there are so many moments in Agents of Girl and in the current series where um, I'm, I'm I'm very just amazed with how well everybody's written because they each feel like their own person, um, and just that that's really well done. I feel I, there's going to be a lot of me praising you this episode. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, it's, it's very important to me because, like, you know, we I, I did talk about you know the fact that. I want them to, I want it to seem like actual New York and I want people to seem like they actually come from places and know things. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, my ideal would be for, you know, these characters to end up in other books and for, you know, this to be a, a sort of diversity that spreads out into other things. So um, because I've, I've had several people tell me that like, they're just not used to seeing uh, South Asian people at all in comics and, you know, having, Priya, who's, you know, an Indian-American woman in, in there is uh, unusual enough that they sort of, you know, sat up and took notice and started reading the book because, you know, they, they saw somebody that looked like them, which is unusual. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely succeed. Um, I was going to say, there, there are a lot of moments where Nadia reminds me of me today. There's a lot of moments where Nadia reminds me of, like, me when I was a child. Um, and I always think it's funny because sometimes in today's comic book world, you see people where they're like, you know, these, you know, these characters don't exist in real life. And I was like, no, that was definitely, you know, 10 year old Elizabeth being told she was going to space camp. Like I definitely had that energy if you were talking <laughs> about science and especially with the, the newer issues, like some of my most favorite parts is like being explained what friction is. Like I know what friction is. 
but I'm just such a nerd that I get really excited reading the Google definition of friction again, but in like Nadia's voice. So I, I'm, I'm excited for like kids and girls that are like me who want to go to space camp, who get to read this book. Like I am so excited for them. And that's that's a weird feeling to have, but I'm really excited for them. Yeah, I yeah. actually read out the um, the the page where she's in um, in Ancient Girl in, in Volume One, where she's in the middle of Times Square, and the um, the Nadia science fact is talking about megawatts and kilowatt yes. hours and all that stuff. I I read that out to my husband because my husband is actually a scientist. He's he is a master's in biology, and I read it to him, and he was like, "Wow." That's really good. I was like, yeah. And Tesla, Carl Sagan, and Neil deGrasse Tyson have all been mentioned within this within this volume. And he was just like, oh, wow. Because um, we have this talk a lot about representation is is one thing, but actually pushing kids in a direction where, or, or you know, not necessarily kids, but, you know, um, young people who may not see themselves, pushing them to take that step to, like Lizzie said, ask to go to space camp or go Google more about watts and wattage and uh, stuff like that is something that is really good from a teaching perspective, um, whether it's extrinsically or and extrinsically teaching where they go outside the comic to Google stuff or intrinsically where they're, they're actually picking up bits of knowledge from it. Um, I will say as, as the, the girl who spent a lot of her childhood making potato guns and various things like that, this is exactly the kind of comic that I would have wanted when I was a kid, um, encouraging that, that experimentation, learning more about science, making cool stuff. So yeah, I really love that about the book. It's really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think a lot of that stuff, especially in the first volume, is, is influenced by, by Elsa, who's the artist on the first volume. Um, I think especially the science facts, because um, it, it's funny you mentioned the, the Times Square stuff, because my, my first drafts of the first few scripts didn't have any of that stuff in there. Um, and as you're reading that first issue, there's the picture of the giant robot that uh, they're fighting and there's these sort of cutaways that Elsa did of you know what the inside of the robot looks like and uh, I was looking at that and I was like the only way that makes sense is if Nadia is seeing that like if that's Nadia's mind working out how this robot works which is brilliant like I love that idea what if you know we explain those by like having her do these sort of science facts where, you know, she tells us what she's seeing because, you know, we don't know this stuff. Nadia knows this stuff. Um, so like, you know, I, I started doing like all this research on, on robots, which, you know, ended up in that first volume, that first issue. And then I think I got to, I think that's issue three where she's in Times Square and um, at, at night. And I was like, I need. I want to have science facts in here too, but I don't have anything yet. Like, what do I, what do I do in here? And um, I, I was just like looking at that page of her being, her marveling at Times Square, and thinking about being in Times Square, and just that feeling of like, who said this was okay? Like, why are there this many lights? Why is it this bright? Like, what, <laughs> what must the cost of this be? And I was like, surely there's some kind of data on that somewhere. And like, I, I started looking up 
you know, these, these reports that people had done on it and uh, sort of mining through all these various resources. And it, it's funny because I was, I was disappointed because the information that's in there is, is the best information that they have because unfortunately Times Square is on the same, like, it's on the same uh, block as, as all this, like, theater district stuff. So, like, you can't know exactly how much electricity Times Square takes up because it's all it all goes to the same place, all of this stuff with the theater district. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I want to know about just Times Square. All right. Um, but I, I'm, I, I get kind of where I'm nerding out about stuff like that. And, um, yeah, the... the bit with the friction and, and drifting and everything was one that uh, I wrote kind of my description in that first issue. I was like, I know roughly how this works. And then I handed it off to Tamara and I was like, hey, can you make this not terrible? <laughs> and she kind of came back and gave me a, a better description to work with. And, you know, I, I adjusted some things to make sure, you know, it's in voice and everything. But uh, yeah, we get to Got to play with you know real science on that one, so it was nice. It was like Wasp Fast and Furious, like it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. I want a live action <laughs> Nadia Nadia Pym Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah, I I would. I always think about like all these stories I'd like to do with Nadia, like. Um, you know all the all the characters I want her to meet in the Marvel universe and the various types of stories you know they can have. I feel like having having Nadia and her team using science to be you know illegal race car drivers would be, <laughs> be a great many series. So pie in the sky, what would what what other what other adventure would you want to take her on? Um, who would you want her to meet? Um, like the biggest, the biggest idea you could think of. Hmm. Um. Well, at some point, I won't. I would like to meet her father, but that's a whole. It's a completely different thing. Um, <laughs> but I. Uh, I would really like to do a story with. Uh, her just just her and Valeria uh, trying to trying to fix some problem, trying to save the world. You know, just the two of them and their wits and, and whatever's around them, trying to uh, MacGyver their way out of something. Actually, sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. um, so, one of the things I also have a question about um, is how was it? you know, writing, writing a new wasp, essentially, um, you know, was, were you worried at all? Cause you know, Janet Van Dyne is, um, is iconic in a lot of ways. How, how was that process for you? I think my, my biggest concern going in was that I, I didn't want people to feel like we were just sort of tossing Janet aside. Um, because, you know, Janet has never had a going series. She's had a couple, you know, one-offs, minis kind of things here and there. She's obviously been in the Avengers plenty. She's shown up in lots of other books, but she's never had her own sort of, you know, winsome wasp ongoing series. Um, I didn't want people who were fans of Janet to feel like 
he was getting uh, left behind or, or stepped over. Um, because I, I love Janet. She's a fantastic character, and she has so many uh, interesting traits that are uncommon in the Marvel Universe, uh, like being a grown-ass adult, um, which is like, <laughs> of, of the core Avengers, she's the one that's got it figured out. Um, and, and that's, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, she's, she's got like a real life and a career and stuff. Uh, whereas, you know, half of them don't know what to do when they're not trying to save the world. Um, so like, this is the best description of Janet Van Dyne ever. (laughs) Yeah. It's incredibly accurate. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that was, that was my concern going in. And I, I wanted to like, in that first volume have Janet like in there right away and uh, I think, you know, to my editorial team's credit, they were like, you know, this isn't Janet's book. And if the first thing you do is introduce Janet, it's going to become Janet's book. Um, and, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not the book we, uh, we hired you to write. Um, you know, so, you know, we, I, I had sort of the adventures of, of Nadia and Jarvis going there for the first few issues um, before, you know, uh, when things go really wrong, uh, the big guns get called in and Janet comes in for, you know, seven and eight. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, that was the biggest thing for me is, like, I had no I had no doubt after, you know, the first couple conversations I had with, with Mark Wade about uh, Nadia that, like, there was stories to tell there and that we could do something cool and interesting with her and, and with the book. Um, but, yeah, I was... I was worried, and I still am to a lesser extent, that, you know, people will think that she is a, a replacement for uh, Janet when, you know, I, I think Janet is irreplaceable. And I think unlike a lot of characters who are, um, you know, legacy characters, they they don't have a lot in common character-wise. Um, you know, Nadia is, is much more like Hank in... The things that she cares about she's she's much more like uh a lot of other characters out there than she is like janet and i think that's part of why janet makes for an, a good mentor for her is uh janet has kind of seen it all um but you know it's still sort of wowed by nadia and you know what nadia can do and um nadia's optimism um, i think makes janet more more optimistic herself that's awesome. And I know I'm, I'm sure Ash has a lot to say because uh, one of the reasons Ash is guessing on here is because we actually had Ash um, guest star on our The Wasp Matters episode because The Wasp is her favorite character. Yeah, Janet Janet is my, uh, since I've been about eight years old, Janet's been my favorite Marvel character. And I will say that um, you do such a good job with Janet in this and it doesn't for a second feel like Nadia is a replacement or or a lesser version than Janet, and partially because the reason you mentioned, they're so different, and I think they work really well together, and Nadia's presence in Janet's life has been really interesting to see, and I love what it's doing for her character growth. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the big thing. I think I had so much fun writing, especially, like, the first half of, of that issue seven in the first series, where it's all sort of done from Janet's point of view. Uh, because we get sort of this picture of the, you know, the wonderful 
day-to-day life of, of Janet Van Dyne, of, you know, being an adult and, you know, doing things and kind of still enjoying being a superhero where a lot of superheroes don't. Um, and, you know, that she just schedules a time to go beat up guys with uh, Black Widow because, you know, she just needs to get her cardio in for the day. Um, and, of course, Black Widow's <laughs> always got spare guys to beat up. Yeah, it's just, it's just seeing her after this, honestly, I think is one of the, the best representations we've seen of Janet in a very, very long time. Um, yeah, she's just really, and also seeing her in a leather jacket was also very cool. I just want to throw that in there. It's I like everything I didn't know clothes. I needed. Her clothes I, are always, her, she's a fashion designer. Her clothes have got to be the best. I know, but like that certainly leather don't jacket, disappoint. though. That leather jacket, though, is so good. <laughs> and she would also yeah, be like I, a really good, like, easy cosplay to do, too. Like yeah, casual giant man done. Yeah, have like suggestions about costumes for uh, or outfits for her and Nadia, and I usually like try to tone back my voice on that a little bit, and I'm like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Person who actually does art draw something <laughs> better than that. Um, and yeah, I think the whole um, the whole thing of them like ending up covered in goo because they're fighting that giant blob thing and then uh, having to like stop at a local boutique that happens to be a very like hot topic-y kind of boutique <laughs> was a, a, a fun thing for me because I, I think that's a that hard look is something we don't often see from either of them so you know giving uh, giving them an excuse to wear leather and studs was uh, <laughs> a fun thing to get to do I also think it's just really fun for, I know, at least for me, because in the past, and I've said this a lot about Mary Jane Watson, bless her heart, but like for a woman who is supposed to be a fashion model and for someone who has banished a lot of America's next top model, I can say this with full confidence that Tyra Banks would be really upset with a lot of the things that that woman has worn in many a comic panel. So it's really refreshing to see like women in cute clothes in comics and in clothes that like women would fashionably wear and fashion designers would feasibly wear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I know there, there are, I don't wanna say there aren't because there are guys out there that can draw fashion. I mean, there's, you know, Chris Anka out there doing his damnedest to like draw people in fashion. Um, but I, I think like it's a real benefit to this series that, you know, we uh, have had all female artists to this point um, who know something about women's fashion and know how to draw clothes. And uh, it really shows in, in ways that are uh, both like, you know, with big things like, you know, the outfit that you mentioned, but just from like, uh, from like a day-to-day thing that, you know, every every character has a different fashion sense that Priya's clothes look different than Shay's clothes look different than Nadia's clothes. And like, even if you just saw them in silhouette, it's easy to tell who's who um, in a way that like a lot of male artists understand when it comes to superhero costumes, but have more trouble with unlike clothing um, and like that's that's an incredible thing for, for that I, I feel like you could do a whole 
group cosplay of, of Nadia throughout, you know, these first two volumes with, with different outfits. She's, uh, I, it's important to me that she changes clothes. <laughs> I mean, that's also a good thing, right? Because it makes, that makes her feel real. Um, I mean, yeah. I've definitely have had points in comics or even cartoons. Where I'm like, why are they still wearing the same clothes? <laughs> or why are they wearing clothes that just don't work or look weird? Um, like that is, that's, that's definitely one of the strengths. And and like you said, each, each character that surrounds her also has their own sense of style. Um, nothing seems derivative when it comes to them, whether it's how they speak or how they dress. Um, is it a hard process to kind of narrow down, you know, or to switch between characters, um, I guess, voices um, and main, you know, maintain differences between them, um, whether it's in, you know, drawing style or just switching between their actual dialogue? Um, every once in a while, I read a line for a character that I'm like, that's that's not the right character for that line. Um, but I think... For the most part, um, they they end up being so distinct um, in a lot of ways that it, it is fairly easy to figure out, you know, what what the conversation sounds like. Um, I really uh, like I really love writing for Taina um, because she's. I love Taina. Uh, I love her so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you know, it was sort of an early decision with her that like I, I wanted um I wanted her to have CP and to be um you know physically uh disabled but I definitely didn't want her to be the character that like then constantly had you know everybody feeling bad for her and was uh you know feeling left behind or getting kidnapped all the time um so like from the get-go Tina's evil like she's just mean to people um and she has such a like cutting voice and uh, like you know her, her sister alexis is got easily a foot and a half on her and is you know she's you know, attractive and athletic and everything else but like Tina does not care she will give her shit about everything she will uh you know cut her down to size no matter what like there's there's that bit in uh, five when they're leaving where like Thane is like, yeah, I've got to get my sister out of here before she gets beat up again. It's like, she can't stop. Like <laughs> she, you know, uh, Alexis beat up twice in two issues, uh, despite <laughs> being the like physically largest of the group. Um, and Alexis is like, Hey, um, I but, like, I love Taida because like the way you're describing her and the way that she comes across, like I knew those girls, I knew those girls growing up and I like always wanted to be them, but like I always cared a little bit too much what everybody else thought. Um, but like she, she feels like a lot of like my, a lot of my Chicana friends, you know, growing up, like she, she feels very real and realized and like strong and powerful and just in words, like, there aren't a lot of people who can cut you down the size with one sentence, but Taina is definitely one of them. Yeah. I, um, I had a friend like that in college. Um, my, my friend, Suzanne, the tiny, tiny Jewish girl, um, you know, all of five feet tall and skinny. And, um, 
every once in a while, you know, we'd be hanging around together and some guy would either try to flirt with her or, uh, you know, decide to be rude to her. And she would just rip them to shreds, like just say something and walk away like she didn't care that she just eviscerated this guy. And like, it's so incredible to watch. Like, um, you know, these, these guys that think they've got everything figured out and just sort of like this, this tiny girl just says something to them and they're just, they're done. They can ring the bell. They've got nothing left. They don't know how to come back from it. <laughs> it never occurred to them that this person would just destroy them. Yeah, I will say a lot of the the dynamics between the people in the group ring really true with like if they feel like a group of friends, which I sometimes in in media, um, you if people try a little bit too hard, I think maybe is what it might be. Um, but the the group really feels like yeah, they know each other, they like each other, they work together, and you know they they just work really well together and it feel and it all is very authentic and real thanks yeah I, I want i want everybody to to you know have their own voice and also sort of intentionally be distinct and they've all sort of got their own priorities and i, I think it was important to me especially in this last issue when um you know with with nadia going through what she's going through that everybody doesn't either automatically say, well, I have to do whatever it takes to help my friend, despite the fact that she just punched me in the face, or um, at the same time go, well, clearly she's having issues, I'm out. Um, but, you know, the decision that everybody makes is really, I think, backed up by who that character has been up to that point. And um, you know, it, was, it was important to me, I feel like it was just as important to me, you know, what happens to Nadia as like, that Priya feels like she has to stay, that she feels like she has to, um, you know, go in. She has this, you know, feeling of, of fate and heroism about her the, the same way that, you know, you so often see associated with actual, you know, superheroes and, and these types of stories. And that was something that was really good to see too, just, you know, on the page, because I, I do know that there are, um, there are some people who are equipped to handle, you know, um, to have that empathetic outreach to people who are struggling. And then there are some people who, um, you know, sometimes just have to understand their own position and maybe not put themselves in a position to get hurt or um, understand that they're not the one that can help at that moment. So seeing all of the the women react, you know, the young women react differently was was really great because all of them are like everybody made that choice and they were all valid in making those choices. Um, and as like as much as I was so happy that Priya stayed, I also didn't fault the others for leaving. Um, and so being able to build that understanding. Um, was is something that's really really good and I and hard to pull off um but um yeah does anybody yeah. else oh go ahead I, I was gonna say I, I feel like you know it was I, I think just as as sure as as Priya is staying as Taina is going she is pissed at Nadia at that point you know for for reasons that I think other people in the group don't even really get at that point. You know, Taina is, is looking at this board and seeing herself labeled as broken and, and finding out that Nadia has, you know, 
called her her doctor without any sort of permission. Um, you know, because Nadia is is on this sort of uh, manic trip of of trying to fix things, and so like it, you know, Taina sees this and is immediately like, "No, I don't care. You go do whatever." Is <laughs> is like. I, I think it's, it's true to that character as, as anything yeah. else. Um, Lizzie asked, do y'all have any questions? I don't really have a question, but I, I do think it is really nice to see a character who is in a wheelchair, who's not like sad about their life because they're in a wheelchair. Like that's really refreshing. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't want to write that character or that story. So, uh, yeah, that it's not my experience of, of you know people who are disabled or people in wheelchairs. So, wasn't that wasn't the character I wanted to write in there? Like you know, in some ways, she's uh, maybe one of the more active characters of the group as far as you know participating and stuff and acting out and and. Uh, Know, kind of wearing her heart on her sleeve. She definitely is, and 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 I love her a lot for that, and and I love that she like argues so much with her sister and is like, "Go get my chair," like because <laughs> I feel like that was me, like when I was an orange wheelchair user, like that was a hundred percent me <laughs> when I was using my chair. So I I felt very seen. <laughs> I, I I love the way that uh, Rosie ended up drawing that that sequence at the beginning of of I guess it's not quite the beginning of, of issue eight of the first volume where like she's sending you know Alexis to go get her chair while simultaneously like rushing up the steps on her crutches to go like see everybody uh, you know she's she has no problem assigning tasks uh, and you know. Also, sort of pushing herself out there, where you know she's she's going to do whatever, but she also fully like knows her limitations. She just doesn't care. Um, I just wanted to say, as somebody who, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Wasp, and I have been for most of my life. I just wanted to say that you've done a fantastic job. Um, I'm not sure if carrying on the legacy is the right term because Jan hasn't necessarily gone anywhere, but. Um, just seeing this character presented in this way has been really amazing to see um, because for a lot of my life, I was like, why don't people realize how cool the wasp is? Uh, and now they do. And I think that's amazing. And you've just done a really great job with it. Thanks. And I feel like I've, I've always felt like Janet was cool. I, I feel like there've been a couple of uh, animated representations that have, have tried to do stuff with her to varying degrees of success or being in character of the same wasp. Um, but like, yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to see Janet be in more stuff and, and be more central to, uh, to more stuff in the Marvel universe. I think, I think she's a great character. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on and talking with us about everything wasp. Um, why don't you tell everybody when the next issue comes out and where they can find you? All right. Uh, so our March schedule is a little weird because we don't have anything coming out in March. 
Um, <laughs> but the uh, the next issue is out. Um, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but early in April, um, as well as the trade collection of the first five issues from this new series. And Marvel is also doing a, a reissue uh, of a full collected edition of uh, all eight issues of the original series in, uh, in a digest size format. Um, oh wow! So it'll be the whole the whole first eight issues in there, and that'll be you know available in, in comic book stores as well as bookstores and stuff like that. Um, so it'll be easier to track down that whole first volume. Um, so uh, yeah, that that issue is coming out then. But then to make up for our weird schedule with March, we actually uh, are double shipping in May. Um, both issues seven and eight are coming out in May. Um, awesome. Yeah, it's it's really fun because uh, Aldi Fermancia is coming on for issues seven and eight. Um, we're doing a couple of uh, one-off stories. The first one deals a lot with uh, the, the other uh, agents of Girl, um, sort of in the the aftermath of you know the story in the first five. Um, so everybody sort of gets uh, a little bit of their own time. Um, you know, we get to. Uh, Hear from everybody, and then uh, Shay is uh, taking Ying to introduce her to uh, her mother. So that's oh, wow. going to be part of that story. And then um, in issue seven, they just released the solicitation for that. Um, but there's a uh, we're having a, a birthday party for Nadia, who's never had a birthday party. That is um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, her her desire is to. Uh, meet uh, a bunch of you know her her family and people she is related to directly or indirectly so it's finally gonna get to meet some of the the stranger branches of the pym family tree and uh also if you see the cover one uh james buchanan barnes is is making an appearance <laughs> at the uh as well so so the cover is great uh it has a big uh, it's a big red image of uh Nadia getting ready to attack Bucky uh, in his full Winter Soldier gear, and she is uh, getting ready to hit him with a birthday cake. So <laughs> we will link to all of that in the show notes. Um, so where can people find you on the internets? Uh, I am on Twitter at uh, jrome58, so it's J R O M E five eight, um, and then uh, I am also on. My website, which is just jeremywhitley.com, and uh, I'm still on Tumblr, um, <laughs> just uh, is is mainly for for uh, one of my other comics, Princeless. It's just princelesscomic.tumblr.com, and uh, yeah, I mean, all of those places I'm pretty easy to find and get a hold of. So, if anybody wants to talk about Wasp or anything else, I'm more than happy to. Awesome! Thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on. Um, and as always, you can find the podcast, uh, at, but why though PC on all social media, get involved, go pick up issues of the wasp, uh, the unstoppable wasp, read them, uh, you know, talk with us, talk with Jeremy via Twitter. Um, and you can find me at Oma Mithrandir on Twitter. Lizzie, you can find me, uh, online at, at Lizzie Lynn Garcia. Uh, you can also find uh, any writing and editing I might have done at 
but why though the podcast.com or but why though podcast.com i always get it wrong but kate corrects me and she <laughs> edits my stuff that's what she's there for um i also am occasionally uh talking about tv pilots uh for uh, Pilots and Batards, which is part of the But Why Though podcast community. We are also on Twitter. Uh, that is at Petards Pilots on Twitter. So you can find us there. Awesome. Ash? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AirSatsAsh uh, and pretty much everything else I do on the internet at ButWhyThePodcast.com. Uh, I have the Skyhoppers podcast, which is a Star Wars discussion show, and the Safari Zone, which is all about Pokemon. And I have some writing over there as well. Some. A lot, maybe. <laughs> Ash wrote an entire article about everything you want to know about the Wasp, including I TV did. shows and comic runs that you want to read. So if you listen to this, read The Unstoppable Wasp, and then decide, I want to read more about Janet, go read her article and then read all of that, because it's great. <laughs> also, I edited it. <laughs> awesome. I could go read that. <laughs> And we also have a wasp. Actually, I, I should probably plug our, our podcast episode that we did. Um, we have a podcast episode. 68 of the podcast was all about why the wasp matters, specifically Janet Van Dyne. But um, we're going to have to do a Nadia Pym one soon. So, And I'm on that as well. So if you just can't get enough of my lovely voice, you can go listen to that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> 